So shortly after the time of Jesus, the time that Jesus came and he died and was resurrected, there was another man that busted onto the scene in that same city of Jerusalem. And this guy's name was Saul, and he was a passionate young man. He stood out amongst his peers as somebody who was very passionate about the Jewish nation and about this Hebrew faith that he was a part of. And it was, it's interesting to read his story because around the same time as his busting onto the scene in Jerusalem was the same time that the early church was just getting off the ground. And you can read the story in Acts. You read through the book of Acts in the Bible, like Acts 1, 2, 3. You read on about the birth of the church, and it's amazing what God's doing, right? There's this story of the church exploding, like thousands of people like coming to faith, and, and, and God just doing amazing things. But at the same time that that was going on, there was a movement against these Christians. And at the forefront of this movement was this young man, Saul. And he stood out amongst his peers because he was a man who was very zealous, very passionate, probably very full of pride in who he was and how he was obeying the law of Moses and upholding the law of Yahweh. And so this man made it his life mission at that point to go and to give the approval for the murder of Christians, to go and to help drag people out of, out of these Christian homes, out of these Christians' community, and, and put them in prison for proclaiming the name of Jesus. He was at the forefront of the persecution that broke out against the church. And it's crazy to think how all these things that were going on in this guy Saul's life at that time, because what happens is if we were to take the remote control of time right now, fast forward a couple of decades, what you find is this same guy has a different name. His name's Paul now, and he's sitting in a prison cell writing a letter that's full of love, full of words of encouragement as a Christian. He's in this cell, in this prison cell because he's a Christian. And he's writing a letter to Gentiles, people that he used to think were despicable. And he's telling them how much he loves them and how much he cares for them. And it's crazy to think the transformation that happened in Paul's life as he went from being Saul to Paul. And it makes me wonder, what on earth happened? What happened to Paul? Why, how did he go from being that passionate, zealous, anti-Christian man to being the God-honoring, God-following man that we see in the Scriptures? And the simple answer is Jesus happened in his life, right? You look to his life, and as I look at his life and see that he's completely different from who he was at the start of his life to who he was at the end of the life, I'm reminded that I want that same transformation in my own life. I don't want to be the same person I was when I was young to the same person I will be when I'm old. I don't want somebody to meet me and be like, oh, right, yeah, you're about the same as I remember you. Hopefully, as, as I grow, God's love also grows in me. His compassion, his, his, um, my, my sensitivity to him and to his voice and to his leading so that when people see me years later on, they will see more of Jesus in my life than they did earlier. That's my hope. That's my prayer. And I hope for some of you in the room, that's your same hope and prayer. And the way that that happens is that Jesus works his power and his love in our lives. And in Paul, we have a beautiful example of how that's played out, where Jesus comes and powerfully impacts him. And so he's compelled to live a life that lives for more. And that's what we've titled this series, Live for More, because we're talking really about this example and also the words of this man, Paul, who's telling us, hey, you're meant to live for more. And so before we even get started, I've got to fill in the blank in your notes there for you this morning to kind of go along, jot down some notes. And it simply says this, Jesus' love 
compels us to live for more. Paul's life is a textbook example of that. We're going through this series. It's a new series. We're only in on our second week, and it's going to be a long series. Because what we're doing is we're doing something a little bit different. We haven't done this for a while. But we're going to go through this, this, uh, this book of Philippians just segment by segment at a time. We're going to go through the whole book, so little chunk by little chunk. And as we do that, we'll get to journey through this together. I'm excited about what that means. But uh, we haven't done any preaching like this for a while, and, and you call the, the Christianese word for this is it's exegetical preaching, okay? So we're going to take just a small section at a time, work our way methodically through this book. So last week we did the first seven verses, this week we're going to do verse 8 through 11, just taking a chunk at the time. So a couple of quick reminders to give you some like uh, parameters for the conversation. Paul, like I said, is in prison. And he's writing a letter to his friends at this church that he helped plant, that he helped start in this city known as Philippi, a very important city in the Roman Empire at the time. It's found near modern-day Turkey and the border of Lebanon, if that kind of gives you a geographic association. And so Paul's writing this letter late in his life in a prison cell for proclaiming the name of Jesus. And there we find him encouraging these believers, these friends of him, his who are Christians, in these first seven verses, we talked about how he encourages them to have a better community, to find beauty of the community that we have in the gospel. Now, I have the, the privilege of getting to stand up here sometimes and look out up, across at you guys, and I get to see the beauty of the community of the gospel. As I look around the room, what I see is a bunch of people who don't really belong together together. Because we have something in common, which is Jesus, right? And so as you look around this room, we don't really belong together except for the fact that Jesus has loved us and he's done a work in our lives. And so I really want to encourage you that there is a diversity in the community because the gospel brings us together in the love of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And that's essentially what we talked about, the beauty of the community that we have in the gospel. One of the key verses from last week was verse 6, and it's one of my personal favorite Bible verses. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This verse is so good because it basically says the good stuff that's going on in your life, God working in you, that was God who started that. And he isn't just the one who started it. He's the one who's going to see it through to completion. He's the one who starts that work and finishes that work. And he doesn't just mean that on an individual level. It's true on an individual level, but he also means that on a community level. So he who began the good work here in South Austin at Point Community Church, he's the one that will see it on through to completion and whatever he wants this church to be and to become. I find that encouraging and I hope that you do too. And so as we continue on in the passage this morning, what you're going to see is that the thought of Jesus working on us individually and in our community continues on. So let's go to Philippians 1. Stop talking about it and actually get there. Philippians 1, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to read along or in a Bible app on your phone. Just promise me you won't go to social media. Uh, Philippians 1 is where we're going this morning. And verse 8 is where we're going to pick up. We left off at verse 7. Going to pick up at verse 8. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory 
and praise of God. Paul starts off by saying, for God is my witness. Now, what I want you to see when he says, for God is my witness, that isn't him just flippantly saying, well, you know, God's my witness, and then r- rolling on with whatever else he's, he's going to say. He says, when he says, God is my witness, that carries a lot of weight for him. So, so Paul was formerly a Jew. He believed in this God, this Yahweh. And then as Jesus came into his li- life, he was impacted. His mind was open to understand the scriptures, understand who Jesus was and how, you know, he, God was an important, you know, being in the universe that he was to, to worship with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength. And so this idea of God, when he has that, that thought and he says, God is my witness, he says that very, very, very seriously. Now, in our world and culture, we don't do that, right? The name of God is kind of just thrown around. It's even used as a curse word, which is really sad. But we also just throw his name around lightly. lightly. For example, you may say, you hear somebody say, uh, well, well, thank God your package arrived from Amazon. They don't really mean like, I thank the God of the universe that UPS got here in time to deliver your package. Just like, that's not what's going on here. He's saying, I thank God, this God that I've worshipped my entire life, this God that I have put my whole life around, I, he is my witness here as I say this. And he goes on to say, uh, for God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now that may sound a little strange to us. With the first part, we can kind of get, get our heads around I, how deeply I miss all of you, but with the affection of Christ Jesus, what does that mean? Well, essentially what he's saying is, I love you very deeply. Basically, so deeply that I love you like Jesus, who died for you, loves you. You know, Jesus, the one that we worship who died for you, I love you as much as that. So when he's saying this, he's basically saying, there isn't words that I can use that can express how strongly I feel for you, how much I love you, how much I I have affection for you guys. And again, I want you guys to see, this is a radical transformation because Paul or Saul in his former life didn't even like Gentiles and he hated Christians. And here he is writing to these guys saying, I love you with, with words that are as deep as I can say. And you guys are both of those things. You're Gentiles and you're you're Christians. And so when we hear Paul saying this, it hints at the radical transformation that Paul himself has experienced. And he goes on and tells us his prayer for these believers in verse 9 through 11. This is the crux of what we're going to spend our time looking at today. The the prayer of Paul. Now, I just want to note to you guys here, this prayer is for believers. It's for his friends. But when you read the writings of Paul and you understand Jesus, what he commissioned us to do, his thought was that Christians would tell other people about Christ, who would tell other people about Christ, who would tell other people about Christ. That there would be generations of believers. And Paul had that same heart and attitude to say, yeah, there should be generations of believers that come. And so when Paul is writing to his friends as believers and and saying, I'm praying this for you, he's essentially praying this for us as well. He's saying, this is my prayer for all believers, all who would come after you as well. And so as we read this, I pray that this prayer would be an encouragement for you guys and for myself this morning. The prayer is expressed in both a request and then also a reason for the request. So we see both of those things here. The request is found in verse 9. And it says this. It's pretty simple. I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. 
So he gives us this request and he gives us a reason for the request. But inside the request, there's two parts to this request that we just read. The first part is that Paul's desire is for believers' love to grow in quantity, to grow in size, quantity. That word growing in the Holman Christian Standard Translation, that's what we read from this morning, that word growing hints at what we're talking about here. Now, I just want to have a little side note here about studying the Bible. Uh, You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a seminary student. You don't need to be really smart to read God's Word and to, to gain truth from it. I just really want to encourage you guys with that this morning. Anybody can read God's Word. And there are going to be times for anybody where they run into sections of God's Word, reading the Bible, where they're like, I don't know what that means. First thing that we should do is pray to God and say, God, would you help me to understand your Word? But another helpful tool, this is just just something to put on the side, something to think about, is that we have a lot of technology that really helps us unpack the scriptures these days. One of the cool things is that if you're looking at the Bible on your phone or if you're on your computer on like a Bible gateway or something like that, you can switch between translations. And that's really helpful because what happened is these letters that Paul wrote were written in Greek back in the day. They were written in Greek and they've been translated into modern day English. And it's hard to translate these, like, these Greek words and phrases and ideas into English. And so sometimes it's helpful if you get stuck to kind of read through different translations and, and look at different interpretations on what that means. Now, God's words without error, we know that, but this is just helpful for giving us a holistic view of the text. So next time you come across something hard, read it in a few different translations. Just click through and, and read a few of those because it'll give you kind of more of a holistic view of the text. So this morning, if we were to look at this prayer, what you would see is that it doesn't just say, in the whole minute it says, you know, I pray that your love would grow. But if you go to the ESV or the NASB, it would say this, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more. And so there's the truth that we're trying to find here. Basically, he's saying, I want your love to grow more and more and more, that this would be an exponential thing, a never ceasing thing in your life. That love would continue to abound in your life. And so the first part of this request is that our love as believers would grow in size. I don't know if you've ever got to witness this in somebody's life, but I have several times. Actually, I I see this in a lot of you guys' life and stories. As I've seen Jesus working in your life, I've seen his love grow and impact your life. And I've seen his love grow in size in your life. There's one friend of mine in particular, I'm not going to embarrass her by using her name this morning, but I've got a friend here at our church who I've seen this to be extremely true. It's crazy to me because people tell me, or she'll sometimes tell me stories of her old life and her old workplace and who she was and how she was perceived. And all of that makes like, makes little sense to me because when I look at her, that's not the person that she's describing. God's done a radical change in her life. Who she was before and who she is now is completely different. And even in the few years that I've known her, it's been really cool to see God's love growing in her. She's grown in her love for, for the people here at our church and for her neighbors and for her family. It's been really cool to watch all of that happening in her life. And so that's the way it's meant to be. I just want to encourage you with that this morning. Our love is supposed to grow in quantity. Think about it like this. As we receive the love of God, as in the longer that you are a Christian... Your capacity should be greater to love. The longer that you are a Christian, the longer that you bask in the goodness of God, of who God is and what he's done in your life, 
your capacity to love should be greater. I mean, that's just going to be a natural byproduct of soaking in who Jesus is and what he's done. That means as Christians, we shouldn't be grumpy old people, right? By the time we get to the end of our lives, we should be like the most happy and, and, uh, and celebratory type people that you would find. And it just makes me think, is this true of my life? As people look at me, is God's love growing in size in my life? But there's a second piece to Paul's desire for these believers. He says, I want you to love to grow more and more, yes. But he also says uh, his desire is for the believers to grow, their love to grow in quantity, sorry, not quantity, quality. Paul says that his prayer is that their love would grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment. This is talking about the quality of love that they would give. Knowledge, what's that talking about? Well, it's really talking about spiritual wisdom. We get spiritual wisdom typically from a couple of sources. One is the Holy Spirit. As a Christian, God's Holy Spirit lives inside of us, brings conviction and leading in our life. You could preach a whole sermon on this this morning, so I'm going to try not to get caught up in that. But just know that as a Christian, when His Spirit comes and lives inside of us, it brings knowledge and wisdom and discernment in our life. There's some really great scriptures that give us good teaching on that. The other source of knowledge that we have is right here, God's Word. God's Word is a great source of knowledge, and you can grow in your love and the knowledge of love by reading God's Word. Now, this word discernment or perception or insight is really the application of that knowledge. What Paul is talking about here is wise, deep, and real love, quality love. And that makes me ask the question, what does a love full of knowledge and discernment really look like? What does that look like? And as I got to thinking about this, I got to thinking of another example that I've seen in my own life. Uh, <clears throat> family is always an interesting thing, and uh, any family has their interesting parts, right? Amen? Uh, and so in our family, uh, there has been some stuff over the years that's been hard to deal with, and, and in particular, it's been all mostly related to some stuff that's gone on with my sister, She's gone through some really hard things in her life, like difficult things, things that I'm, I'm terribly sad about and I wish I could fix, but they are what they are. But because of that, there's been some struggle in her life with addiction in different forms, drug and alcohol, medication, like, and all of that is, has fleshed out in, in some horrible ways in her life, as you can imagine, broken relationships, broken life, uh, struggles with the Lord bouts in the hospital, like all of these different things. And that's been hard to deal with. And I've got to watch my parents love my sister through that journey. My parents are believers, they're Christians, they have been my entire life. But I've watched their love mature and grow over the years towards my sister. I don't doubt for a second that they love her. I know that they love her. But the way that they love her has changed over the years. Their love for my sister has grown in knowledge and discernment. So it, when, when things first were going bad, my parents would sweep in and try and fix the situation, do whatever they can, you know, uh, you know, fix my sister in those moments. And that was hard, like, because when that would happen, like, often she, she would not react very positively to that. But over the years, I've watched them be careful, more careful in how they love. They love very intentionally and very well, but they've also got some healthy boundaries now in how they love. And that's what I think this text is talking about. You've got to grow in knowledge and discernment of how God wants us to love the people that he's placed around us. That's just one small example. But I I say all of that today just to encourage you that our love should grow in knowledge and discernment. There should be a quality 
to the way that we love and a realness in the way that we love. So Paul's prayer request is for people to grow in love um, and to grow in the size and the quality of their love. A theologian, Eugene Peterson, translates this verse in an interesting way, and I like it. It says it like this. This is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Essentially, he's saying that, right? You would not only love much, but well, quantity and quality. And so this leads me today to ask the question of you, ask the question of me. As Christians, are we loving much and are we loving well? Is this true in our own life? This is Paul's request for his friends and his request for us as believers to grow in love that, that loves much and loves well. And then he goes on and gives us the reason for his request, And so I want for us to move on to that. There's a little transition phrase that lets us know that he's moving from request to reason for his request. Two easy little simple words in the English language. So that, right? We use these words all the time in our own lives. I use this in parenting all the time, right? Because you have a request and a reason for the request. And you use this little so that to kind of transition that. Think about it with me. Okay, so as a parent, I would say to my son, hey, hey, buddy. I need you to take your toys upstairs so that you can play a game on my phone, right? little bribery and corruption, that so that, just being honest, uh, that so that is an important part in that phrase. It goes, here's my request, here's the reason for my request. You might say something to your kid like this, uh, I need you to eat all of your chicken so that you can be big and strong, right? There's a so that. You may say to them, hey, stop licking that so that you don't get sick. Like, I don't want you to throw up in the car. Like, there's all these phrases that we use, but that so that really transitions us from the, the request to the reason for the request. And Paul does the same thing here. He says, hey, I want you to grow in quality and quantity of love so that, and let's read it on in verse 10, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Take a breath. We made it. I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm like, whoa, there's a lot packed in there. He's given us a pretty elaborate reason for his request, right? There's a lot thrown into this passage. So what's Paul really trying to say to us? Paul's, you know, famous making these run-on sentences where he just packs all these good Christian words into a sentence and it can be hard to decipher what he's trying to say. But let's try and unpack this a little bit. What's Paul trying to say? Well, what he's essentially saying is that as you grow in love, As God's love grows in you, it will produce four things for you. The first thing that he points to is that it will produce in you understanding. Look to that scripture. It says, so that you can approve the things that are superior. Essentially, what it's saying there is it's saying you can approve the things that are best, that you can understand what is excellent. Love produces understanding in our lives. That's a byproduct of love. God's love in our life will produce understanding. It's just a natural byproduct that will happen. We see this to be true in Bible story after Bible story as you read through the stories of what God's done over history. The thing, uh, probably the best example is the disciples, right? You look at the disciples' life. They're these fishermen. God calls them to be his followers. And they receive in that moment some of his love and they understand a little bit more. 
And then as they go through their journey, Jesus is doing all these cool things and he's teaching them. Like he, he feeds the 5,000, they understand a little bit more. They receive a little more of his love. He, uh, you know, calms the storm among the sea. They understand a little bit more who he is. He comes and he washes his disciples' feet. They understand a little more who he is and what their purpose is. He dies and he rise, he's raised again from the dead and he comes and sees them and they understand a lot more in that moment, right? As they receive his love. And then he sends the Holy Spirit and they understand a little bit more. This is going on throughout the journey of their life and these men are transformed from being, I, I don't mean this offensive, but they go from being dumb fishermen to being these powerful, powerful men of God. And over the course of the years of interacting with God and receiving his love, their understanding is just blossoms. I mean, you see that. These guys go from being these dumb fishermen to being Peter in Acts, standing up and declaring the goodness and the greatness of God, quoting the scriptures and pointing to Jesus throughout the Old Testament. What a story of God producing understanding in us. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're struggling for understanding right now in your life, maybe you're going through a struggle or something that's going on, Submit yourself to God's love and a byproduct of you receiving his love will be understanding, discernment, wisdom. That's going to come as part of receiving God's love. I do believe that. The second thing, there's a lot more that could be said on this, but the second thing that we see here is that when love grows in us, it also produces obedience. Obedience. As you go on into the text, what you see, it says there, that you'll be uh, <clears throat> approved the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Obedience is produced in our lives. We live pure and blameless lives before Christ. Now, I want to be very careful that you guys see something that's tucked in here. There's a truth that's tucked right in here that's really good and it's essential for understanding the gospel. The truth is this, is that we are not pure and blameless so that God will love us, We are pure and blameless because God loves us. Notice that Paul doesn't say in his prayer, guys, my prayer for you is that you would be really good people, that you would be very moral and pure and honoring of God so that he will love you. No, his prayer is the opposite. He says, hey, I want you to receive the love of God. And as that happens, the byproduct of that will be that you will live pure and blameless lives because you will be so affected by the love of Jesus that that's naturally going to happen in your life. Obedience is going to happen because you radically understand the love that you're receiving from God. It's so essential that we see that. It's so essential that we get that. If you believe that you've got to be clean for God to love you, you do not understand the gospel. The gospel is that God loves us when we were sinners, when we were still bad, when we were still filthy and dirty. God loves us, and it's because of God's love that we then in turn live lives that honor Him, that are pure and blameless. It says pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. That's talking about Christ's return, right? When the day that Jesus comes back, and essentially what that is saying is we live these lives in front of people that point them towards Jesus. When we live a pure and blameless life, it's a great witness to the gospel. It's a great witness to Jesus. When people look at us and be like, why are you behaving like that here? That doesn't make sense. Why are you living a pure life? Why are you, you know, filtering certain things in your life? Why are you doing that? That's a great witness to people to say, I'm different. God's done a radical job in my life of loving me and changing me. And so I just want to encourage you guys in that this morning 
that there is a call to obedience. There's a byproduct of love in our lives that produces obedience in us. The third thing that we see that this love produces in us is fruit. Fruit, not physical fruit, spiritual fruit, okay? Uh, It says there in the text, this one's probably the plainest for us to see. As you go on through the text, it says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It says you're filled with the fruit of righteousness. What's the fruit of righteousness? Well, thankfully, Paul wrote another letter to another church in in Galatia. It's called Galatians. And in that, he gave them a list of the fruit of the Spirit. So let me read that for you. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. I got a good and easy for me to ask, hard to answer question for you guys. Are people seeing these fruit in your life, in my life, in an increasing way? Because that's a byproduct of God's love growing in us. Are people seeing that you are more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, uh, more self-control? Again, like, right? These aren't easy things that God's calling us to, and yet they are byproducts of God's love working and doing its thing in our lives. The fourth thing that we see here in the text that that is produced by God's love working and growing in our lives is worship. As you go back to the text, what you see is that it talks about the fruit filled with righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Basically, Paul is saying all of those things, the understanding, the obedience, the fruit, all of that is for worship. It's for the praise and honor of God. The ultimate thing that should grow in our, as our love grows is worship. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Basically, all that we bring to the table in this process and journey is this. God, I give you myself, I give you my heart, I give him my life. And allowing his love to impact us, us to soak in that and to allow him to increase this understanding, increase this obedience, increase this fruit and ultimately worship in our lives. And so as we walk through the seasons of life with God, our praise, our glory and our affection for him should increase. That should be a byproduct of God's love growing in our lives. So this morning, as we've looked at this text, we've gone through these, just these few verses, it's painted for us a very beautiful, in my mind, picture of what life can and should look like. Like, as you read that, you're like, that sounds good. Like, my love increasing in quality and quantity, you know, and and understanding and obedience and fruit and worship, like, that all sounds good, right? But how does that happen? Like, how does this happen in my life? Is this just a matter of me trying harder to be a good Christian? No, we already kind of addressed that. Like, how does this happen? Well, as you go back to verse 11, you find the answer is actually tucked in there. He's going through the list of things and he gets up to the fill with the fruit of righteousness. And then he says, that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the key to all of this happening in our lives. If you think that there's some other source, you've got the message wrong. We get this type of growing and producing love through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. John 15 makes that really clear. John 15 is a great passage. It's, it's uh, this passage where Jesus is about to go and die on the cross. 
These are some of his last words to his disciples. I don't know about you, but if I had a last few moments with the people I cared about, I'd probably try and use my words the best that I could, right? And so Jesus is here and he's speaking to his disciples. And in John 15, he tells them that he is the vine and that they are the branches. And he uses this analogy and he says, look, I'm the supply line and you're just the branch. Like without me, you can produce nothing. Your love cannot grow in quantity and quality without me. You cannot produce fruit without me. Like if you're disconnected, you're not going to be producing anything in your life. You're not going to be the person that I'm calling you to be. And so if we go back to the story of Saul and his conversion to Paul, we see an example of this. Before Saul became a Christian, he was a horrible person. We saw that. He was full of pride and arrogance and religion. And he walked, he was actually, I'll tell you a brief part of the story. He's walking on the road to Damascus. He's going there to go and find Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem and imprison them for declaring the name of Jesus. As he's walking down the road, this bright light shines around him in the middle of the day and he hears this voice. He falls to the ground, hears this voice and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus the one that you were persecuting. And in this moment, he's changed because he realizes the reality of God and the reality of Jesus. He realizes he's been going the wrong direction and he allows in this moment God to come and to radically change him. God goes on to tell Paul that, hey, I'm going to change your name to Paul and I'm going to use you to be my witness throughout the world. I'm going to use you in a powerful way. As my love grows in you, I will use you in the communities that I'm going to place you in, in a powerful and an amazing way. And what we see in Paul is a miracle, a miracle that transforms him from being this Jewish Pharisee persecutor into being a man who's very strong affections for these Christians that we're hearing him write, write to here in this letter. And Paul, what we see in this letter is essentially just praying for his friends to receive the love that he himself has received. So as he's writing this prayer, I pray that your love would increase in quantity and quality. All that he's saying is, I pray that you would experience the love that I have experienced myself. Paul gives us a glimpse of what the gospel does to people. I'll say that again. Paul gives us a glimpse of what the gospel does to people. It radically changes them. And so I want to ask you a very personal question this morning. I want to ask you, what's the gospel doing in you? Would you consider that this morning? What is the gospel doing in you? It seems to me that the gospel is this life-giving, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us is this life-giving and fruit-bearing thing in our lives. And if we continue this thought, this analogy of nature and, and this vine and all that we've talked about this morning, what we see that typically in nature, things that are either dead, dying, or alive. It's in one of those three states, right? Things are either dead, dying, or alive. And I want to propose to you this morning that in our spiritual lives, it's much the same. We're either dead, dying, or alive. And so this morning, where are you at spiritually? What's the gospel doing in your life? If, if The Bible tells us that before Christ comes in and, and impacts our lives, that we are dead in our sins. So this language translates across throughout the scriptures, tells us also that the wages of sin is death. But 
The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Amen? And so what I want to encourage you this morning, if you're not a Christian in this room, I know that there are people in this room who are not Christ followers. If that's you this morning, my encouragement to you, I implore you this morning that you would look to Jesus to be the source of life for you, that you would grow in his love, that you would be connected into that vine so that you can have true life, that who you are now at this, at this point in your life is different from who you would be even tomorrow because Jesus can come in and radically change you. Paul was changed in an instant and Jesus can do that same transformation in your life. I believe that to be true. And so if you have questions about what it means to be a Christ follower, what the gospel means, who Jesus is, what he's done to your life, talk to the person who brought you along this morning or come and talk to me, talk to Nick, talk to one of our leaders here this morning and allow us to just point you towards the truth that Jesus loves you and and he can do a radical job of bringing that which was dead back to life. Secondly, maybe you are not alive spiritually right now. You're dying just want to remind you, there's no middle ground. You're either alive or you're dying. There isn't like this in-between state. And so go back to that vine analogy that we talked about earlier. If you're a dead branch, you're disconnected from the vine. You're not even connected. It's just dead, right? But if you're connected to the vine but dying, you're like shriveled or I'm speaking spiritually here. If, if your spiritual life is one where it's getting choked out by weeds, by the, by the cares of this world, like maybe that's the spot that you find yourself in today. That's because there's not a good connection to the vine. You need to allow God to renew your first love for him, to, to remind you that he loves you, that he has a plan and a purpose for your life, that, that the cares of this world do not matter, but what matters is being connected to God and to his love and growing in that. That is our purpose in life. And so this morning, I want to speak gently to you because I find myself here sometimes where my life is one where it's not connected well to the vine. The things that are going on in my life mean that I'm living, my spiritually, I look like I'm shriveling, that I'm dying. And in that moment, what we need is Jesus to come in and breathe new life, to remind us that without him, we are nothing. The third place that you may find yourself in this morning is that you are connected and you're in a healthy spot spiritually with God. Amen. That's awesome. That's good. And my encouragement to you this morning is allow that to continue. Continue to walk in that relationship and that closeness that you have with God. Allow that love to grow and grow. The message isn't grow grow to this level and then stop. The message is to grow and to grow in quality and quantity so that understanding, obedience, fruits and worship increase in all of your life. May that be true of you today. And maybe today God's bringing some particular areas that he wants to grow you in how to love. I hope that that's true for you this morning. Whatever place you're in this morning, I just want to remind you that God loves us enough to not want us to be the same people throughout our lives. He wants us to look radically different because of his impact, his effect on our lives. He desires us to be people who grow in his likeness and grow in his love. And that was true of Paul. And my prayer is that it will be true of my life and of your life. Because when that happens, we're going to see God do radical things here, even in South Austin, in our community here. I'm excited to see what that looks like. Let me pray for us this morning.